Well, welcome back to the Missio podcast. Uh, I'm excited to begin the Advent uh, series this season with everybody. Um, this is the first teaching of Advent. You know, this is just one, honestly one of my favorite times of the year. I love, you know, Christmas music, the holiday parties. I love great food, spending time with the people that we love and care about, and all those kinds of things. But I think more than anything, I just, I love the anticipation that comes along with the season. There's always this sense of something good and beautiful that is rising among us in this season. You know, the, the word Advent just simply means the arrival of someone or something of significance. And so during this season of Advent, you know, Christians around the world are celebrating the arrival of King Jesus to earth as a little baby and, um, yeah, just everything that that comes with. Because in that moment, the best that heaven had to offer became present within the created, the human world. And so this arrival, this Advent, more than 2,000 years ago brought with it things like hope and peace, and joy, and love, which is what we celebrate during the weeks of Advent. We celebrate hope, and peace, and joy, and love. You know, but this year, I wanted to have our times of teaching focus on each of these four traits, obviously within the context of of Jesus and us, but, but really want to help all of us understand that these are not just internal feelings that we experience during the holidays. You know, hope and peace and joy and yes, even love can at times be communicated as these just highly personal internal experiences that we feel in the Advent season. So you might hear things like, so, you know, how is hope good for you? How do you find peace in the holidays? How, you know, how do you find love internally this December or whatever? And certainly these are feelings. They, they, they do, we do feel those things when they are around us, but Advent brings more than just good feelings and warm experiences. You know, Advent, the coming of Jesus among us, remember that's what the word Emmanuel means. It means God with us. And so the truth of Advent, of God with us in the person of Jesus, is that he brings these four things, hope and peace and joy and love, but that they extend far beyond our, just kind of the internal feelings that we have. And even beyond, even just a simple small group at a church. These things are saturated with God's transformative power for the world, and they are inherently communal in nature. And so each week we're going to be looking at these these traits, hope and peace and joy and love, not as just these passive feelings that come because of a season, but rather as a calling to actively participate in what Jesus is doing to bring the nearness and goodness of God close for all people. All right, so let's jump in to, to this first teaching, which is on hope. That's what we're going to be talking about today is the hope of Advent. You know, when I was growing up, I, I, was, I was remembering it this week. I, was, I, I would have these conversations with my mom about the house that we uh, owned, that they, my parents owned uh, when I was growing up. And I remember my mom every now and then saying this kind of simple phrase that really stuck with me for a very long time. She would say, you know, someday you'll have a house of your own as well. You know, and, and, and oftentimes 
A simple statement of anticipation like that one is often the birthplace of hope, right? You know, we, we hear this is going to happen, this will happen for you, and then hope is born out of those simple statements of anticipation. But the question that I, I always ask when I hear those simple statements is what happens when those statements don't come true? Or what happens when they take so long that we feel like they're never going to come true? <laughs> I remember thinking as a like six-year-old kid or however old I was when I would hear my parents talk about you know me someday owning a house, I would be, st- <laughs> I remember thinking, wait, so I'm going to own a house someday. Like as a kid, you're thinking, so you mean I'm not going to be living here with you for the rest of my life? It's kind of a jarring, shocking thing to hear, right? Because a statement like that, while potentially obviously being a statement of hope for my future spoken by a deeply loving mother causes a feeling of uh oh <laughs> to a 6-year-old kid or even a 8-year-old kid you know what does that mean what, do you, do you not want me to live here with you anymore you know you just get kind of confused what is that supposed to look like and mean i think sometimes in our world we make statements about some future reality without giving people a grounding in what the waiting for that reality to come into existence is supposed to look like. You know, what they're supposed to feel, what they're supposed to do and act like become while they anticipate and live in the hope of that future reality. I was recently listening to a sermon from a different church and they were talking about Advent. This was their Advent series from last year. And so the pastor He's talking about hope, and the pastor says something that kind of hit me a little bit weirdly, actually. He says the hope of Advent for us in 2021, I guess it was, is really a hope in the second Advent. Have you guys heard of this idea before? If you've been a part of Missio over the last couple of years, we've talked about this idea of the first and second Advents. But it's this idea that the first advent was Jesus' arrival that took place in the first century, which was really what the Jews were waiting for. You remember they had been they've been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come, and that's what the first advent was when Jesus arrived to earth two thousand years ago. And so the second advent is what we who come after the first advent are waiting for which is the second coming of Jesus at the end of times, right? And so the pastor says, so then our job is to wait, to prepare, and be ready for the second advent. And it just caused me to start thinking. You know, I thought, he's not wrong about that. This idea of waiting for Jesus' second arrival, it, it is a part of the Christian story, but is that really all that the hope of Jesus means for us today? Just waiting for Jesus to come back? What are we supposed to actually do in the waiting? What does that actually mean? Is Advent about sitting and waiting with our hands folded, looking up, waiting for a bright light to enter our world, ready at a moment's notice to go with Jesus when he returns? Or is Advent about participating in the fullness of what was brought in that first Advent? You know, Jesus' first Advent was about helping restore the world to God's original purpose and intended beauty. That's what it was about. See, see, hope isn't a passive feeling waiting for Jesus to come and do his work finally. 
It's an act of participation in the activity of Jesus that is going on all around us right now. You know, there certainly is a truth to the, the idea that we in 2022 are living between the two advents, that first century arrival of Jesus and then his second coming uh, in, in the future somewhere. But that truth demands us to follow Jesus into the work of restoring all things to their original purpose and their intended beauty, to bring the fullness of the goodness of God right into the path of the current condition of humanity. And so if that's actually true, that hope is active, that it calls us to participate, not just wait, what then does that hope call us to participate in today? We want it to be tangible, remember? We're going to be looking at a story in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, and we're not going to read the whole uh, story in this podcast, but, but Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing, he's been traveling around the region, and his fame is growing. People are beginning to follow him and travel to listen to him, to be healed by him. And he gets to his hometown in Nazareth. And just so you guys, if you don't remember this, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. And so he shows up to a synagogue in Nazareth, as any Jew at the time would have done. And it doesn't say that this was like Jesus' home synagogue that he grew up in, but there's a good chance that it was. And so everyone is looking at Jesus like, hey, that's, that's the little Jesus. He's all grown up. Have you ever gone back to like a childhood spot that you went to a bunch as a kid and you you went back there as an adult and everyone that you knew as a kid who went there is still there at that place? I, I don't often get back to the church that I grew up in in Portland, but when I do, it's like honestly time has stopped. It, things look the same. At least it feels like they look the same. Lots of people that I, that I knew when I was a kid are, are still there. And it's kind of a terrifying experience going back there because I know that everyone knew me as like a preteen, as a teenager, which I'm sure well, can't, can't have been a good thing, right? So anyways, Jesus is going back to his synagogue that he grew up in and he begins to read this passage from Isaiah that would have been, been heard as one of the most hope-filled passages that Jesus could have ever read, right? So let's pick up in this story in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And so this in interaction in, in Jesus' hometown in Nazareth, that is synagogue that he grew up in, starts well. Jesus is saying, look, you remember the prophetic moments in Scripture pointing to a time when people would be set free, they would receive sight, the oppressed would no longer be so. He says, you remember that year of the Lord's favor? This is the idea of the year of Jubilee, where every 50 years, prisoners were released, land was given back to their original owners, debts were forgiven. And Jesus is reading this passage saying, look, I, I am that messianic figure prophesied about so long ago. It, it's me, guys. And the people all around him are looking at him going, isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> that's, that's, that's Joseph's boy. I remember like seven years ago, uh, I went back to my home church that I grew up in in Portland. 
and I had the chance to preach there, which was really fun. And I thought I did a really good job. But then all, all these these old older ladies that I knew when I was like my, my youngest son's age started coming up to me and they would start by saying, you know, that was such a good sermon. And then they would proceed to tell me some story that they remembered about me when I was a kid. And so it was like, you know, I remember one Sunday you ripped off your diaper and you started running around the stage naked as a jaybird, which always made me wonder, why, why do people always remember the most embarrassing stories about you? So anyways, I don't think that, that the people here in Nazareth were confused about who Jesus was. I just think that they remember seeing him as a kid and and now he's declaring that he is the Messiah that was prophesied about, bringing this redemption, this restoration of all things into existence. And I think they're going, wow, look at Jesus. And they're, they're excited for a moment. They're, I think they're kind of skeptical at the same time because they would have fully understood this year of, of the Lord, this year of Jubilee language from Isaiah. They would have understood the implications. This was something that, that they were actually had been anticipating for generations, right? There was a hope. That the Messiah would come and he would bring redemption, restoration, freedom of debts, of abuse, of all the things that cause suffering of God's people. And I mean, throughout the first century, there was lots of oppression against the Jews. Romans ruled the known world and God's people were waiting, longing for the promise of the hope of freedom to enter their story. And Jesus has just said, look, it's here. I'm here, your freedom, your redemption, and your restoration are standing right in front of you. And I think everyone is, is both excited, but also perplexed and, and a little bit skeptical of what's happening, at least for a little bit. Because then Jesus continues. So let's pick the story back up in verse 23. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in, in your hometown what, you, uh, what we have heard you, that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So I think at first the crowds were amazed, but there was obviously a little bit of skepticism that they felt. They were both amazed because they knew Jesus as a kid, but they were also skeptical because Jesus was just common. At, at least in their eyes, he was common. There wasn't anything special about him. He was the son of a carpenter. How could he really be this Messiah? And I think Jesus senses this bit of skepticism and quote, quotes this proverb saying, I, I bet you're going to basically ask me to prove to you that I am who I say I am. But look, prophets aren't accepted, accepted in their hometowns. And then he goes on to say, look, the prophets from our history, as the, the Jewish history, right, our prophets went to people who were not just us, that didn't just look like us, that weren't just like us. Elijah went to a Gentile which again is just anyone who's not Jew, Jewish. And he ate with her at her home. 
He tells about Elisha healing Naaman, who was the commander of a foreign army. Naaman had leprosy, and Elisha has him dip seven times into Jordan, and he's healed. Naaman, who is shocked then at being healed, tries to get Elisha, who was God's prophet, to accept all sorts of money and goods and rewards, which Elisha says no to. It's just, this is what God told me to do. Jesus is saying, look, I, I am the Messiah. I did come to free to bring redemption and restoration, but not just for you, for people everywhere. For the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the outcast, the broken, the hurting, I came, I, Jesus, came for all people. And as soon as the people in Nazareth hear this, they change from like this optimistic skepticism to wanting to brutally murder Jesus by throwing him off of a cliff. And the question we need to ask is why? Why this change in this story? I think there is something that is inherent within our humanity that often seeks to hoard the little hope that we can find in the world for ourselves. You see, the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah for centuries and when, and when uh, Jesus comes and declares himself to be that Messiah, but then says, but hey, hope, transformation, healing, restoration, and freedom, it's not just for you, it's for all people. Then immediately the Jews are like, no, that's not what we waited all this time to hear. See, the people were offended because the prophets were going out among other people, offering them the hope of God with us because that hope fundamentally changes lives, changes circumstances and heals and frees. And many of the Jews, not all of them, but many of them were saying, no, that's not what we were promised. Hope of free, you know, hope and freedom was promised to the people of promise, to, to us. So I think they were upset because Jesus was saying this hope is not just for you, but it's for everyone. And here's what I want you to do with this hope. I want you to work for the good of others, for your enemies, for the people who think differently politically or socially, who have different backgrounds and ethnicities, religions, and more. Your job is not to try to bind and contain the hope of Jesus, but rather to allow it to be unleashed in the world and to follow Jesus as he works to heal and restore, as he steps into the stories of suffering people. See, I think we sometimes make things like hope way too personally, per, way too personal. You know, so it's for me, it's for my life, for my good, and it causes us, I think, to fail to see hope as deeply communal in nature. That real hope, the hope of Advent, is inseparable from community and the people around you. See, I think the church and, and, and Advent should be, should be hope, not just for ourselves, but for the community around us as well. When we see hope as a calling to step into the suffering of others and then actually step into those stories with people, I think what we end up finding is that we get closer to Jesus because Jesus is, is the hope of people who are truly suffering and that is where he lives. That's where he spends his time. Hope is not simply an individualistic momentary experience or feeling. It is the transformative power of God come to live among the hurting and broken, among people looking for life from the ashes. See, the hope of Advent is not for us to just sit on and, and hoard for ourselves. We, we can't do that at all, actually, because hope will constantly escape the clutches of our grasps and find people in, in need in order to bring good news to them. Good news of great 
joy, that life is more than our pain and suffering, that, that oppression and abuse are not strong enough to stand against hope and peace and joy and love that, that, that comes because of Jesus, but through, but through us, right? And see, that is the point of the hope of Advent. Advent helps us move forward into our community. You know, we may never see the full absence of suffering in the world, and yet we can still move toward that reality and what we are doing here and in the world around us, trusting in God, even when we don't see all that, uh, all that suffering and abuse or whatever be eliminated from the world. We, we can still trust that Jesus is moving because he chose to step into the stories of people around us to be present with them, to care, to love, to speak life into their story and to bring the good news of Emmanuel, of God with us to them. See, hope sees opportunities to rub shoulders with people in pain, people in need, people who need to be seen and love, and then joyfully steps into those opportunities. I think one of the the things that I've uh, come to fundamentally believe about hope is that it sees our greatest need deep in our hearts and then camps out there. But it almost always does that through a community of people. Remember, hope and peace and joy and love are community building in nature. They seek out others to share their goodness with. The greatest part of the hope of Advent that we can participate in is inviting people to the table with us, which I realize sounds like one of those cliche statements that, that, that uh, pastors will make sometimes in teachings. And we don't honestly know what it means, right? But when I see people inviting others into their lives just simply to show kindness and care and love and to hear their story, this brings me hope that Jesus truly is at work in the world. And I don't want this to feel like intangible. I want it to be as real as possible. And so I think about the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath that Jesus himself told to his synagogue in Nazareth. Where was the power in that story? Yes, God filled up the flour and oil miraculous each day, you know, providing food for her and Elijah, but the power was in the daily eating together. It was, in, it was in their spending time together, sharing their lives and stories, their hurts and their pains, their joys and their laughter. God formed community between a Jew and a Gentile, people from different backgrounds and religions and gender and more, and, and he gave them a moment to experience the power of presence together. Sometimes the greatest way to participate in the power of the hope of Advent is to create a space to eat food with people, to invite people to the table because it's at the table where presence and life happen. You know, hope isn't some mysterious thing that we grasp grasp for. It's honestly just sitting in the midst of Jesus with the people around you. That's hope. Hope is found in God bridging barriers and pulling people together. The more, I, the more I thought about this question, so what do I do in the waiting, in the preparing, in the being ready for Jesus' second advent, the more I realized the simplicity of the answer. We love God and we love the people around us. That's the hope of Advent. The more we embrace loving God and loving people, and I mean genuinely loving people, not, not, not bumper sticker love, But loving people is hard, right? It's not easy. But sitting with people to learn who they are and to share life with them has the power to create moments that are filled with the presence of Jesus. What are we to to do between the first and second advent? It's certainly 
it's certainly more than just waiting for good things to happen, right? It's about carrying that hope of Jesus, his freedom and his love and his joy, his peace into the paths of hurting people, the pain, the suffering, into the paths of people's lives. Trusting that Jesus is doing more than we know when we do that. Well, that is the hope of Advent. Thank you for listening. And next week, we're going to be talking about the peace of Advent. Bye, everyone.